this week on The Inswinger. They just look much more dangerous, I thought, on the counterattack with, you know, when Gallagher and Palmer especially picked up the ball and just started running at City. They will blow you away with their football. I think that's really hard to do. Given the expectation, he has to be a candidate for manager of the season. But when you take one or two of those players out, there's no fundamental philosophy. All right, welcome back to the Inswinger Season 3, Episode 17. I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined alongside Harrison McGlashan. Another week, uh, another big game in the title race, this time coming at the Etihad between Man City and Chelsea. That's where we're going to start our conversation this week. The longer this title race and season goes on, the more it looks like a three-team race uh, between Liverpool, City, and Arsenal. And this result at the Etihad kind of only further proves that it will be a three-horse race as long as City are dropping points. Uh, and they seem to not be you know, fully clicking still. I think a lot of people would have gone into this home game against a pretty sketchy, up-and-down, inconsistent Chelsea team and expected them to kind of wipe them away. But it took a late Rodri goal as... You know, he always seems capable of getting um, to salvage a point. So, Harrison, what did you make of what you saw from City at the Etihad? And what did you make of what you saw from Chelsea? And are there positive signs there that could potentially, you know, lead to maybe a, a, a better finish to this season than, than start to it? Yeah, I mean, for Chelsea, pl- plenty of positive signs, really. I thought it was one of their more impressive performances of the season. Um, I think reoccurring signs, though, because we have seen... Uh, them play well against the big teams I think these sorts of games suit Chelsea uh, oftentimes of course they got pumped by Liverpool but the 4-4 draw against City um, Liverpool first day of the season to all so you know there there have been performances that have been encouraging uh, for for Chelsea uh, against the big six big four Um, they just look much more dangerous I thought on the counter-attack with you know when Gallagher and Palmer especially picked up the ball and just started running at City. I think that was that was a good game plan. But that's also, you know, you can also say, where has that been, right? And, and that is the sort of football that at least I was expecting. I think a lot of people were from a Pochettino side. That's sort of what we saw at Spurs. Um, just much more fight, effort, uh, desire from everyone on the pitch, really. I thought Enzo Fernandez especially, you know, we've seen him. It just hasn't really quite clicked for him. Uh, at times this season but he just looked up for it looked much more involved all over the pitch so maybe you know maybe this can just start something between him and Caicedo who by the way I thought Caicedo had a good game again I thought he I think he's going under the radar a little bit and just quietly sort of going about his business which is a good thing for them um I also thought the back four uh were, were excellent I thought DeSassi had one of his better games alongside Colwell at center back which you know we've said before why isn't he playing center back? Chilwell's back, and now he is. And I think, you know, the reality is Tiago Silva is 39, mm. and, and I think you have to use him sparingly at this point. And I think I think that's fine. I, I know we talk about the lack of leaders, but you need to give – I think you just need the legs, especially in, in a Pochettino team. You need the legs. You need to be able to press, play higher up the pitch. And Coel and DeSassi allow you to do that. And I think Malo Gusto as well had an excellent game. He's been – I think he's been impressive all season, yeah. really. I think he's actually been – a really good signing for them um so listen impressed um hopefully you know this is the thing right mid-table teams are inconsistent and and that's what chelsea have been this season 
Uh, so they need to keep it going. They need to, to work on breaking down low blocks, which they will see more often than this sort of team in the Premier League. That's let them down. Um, of course, they're starting to show more quality in Kunku coming back into the frame. Palmer, of course, we talk about um, Jackson, you know, is still a bit wasteful, but but he gives Pochettino some of what he, what he needs in terms of that energy and movement. So, yeah, positives. Uh, I, I thought they went at them in the first half. Second half, I'm sure Chelsea fans were a bit disappointed to concede and that they just soaked it up a little bit. And when you do that, it is kind of inevitable that City will score. Mm. Um, so that's really the only disappointment. But you take a point if you're Chelsea before the game. Yeah, you definitely take a point. And I, I do want to touch on some of the individuals you highlight. I think the Malo Gusto signing was really clever from Chelsea because whether they meant to or not, you have to... I mean, teams accounting for injury-prone players is something you don't really see a lot. I mean, you have a player like Reese James who's always injured who is supposed to be your club captain, you know, Cobham, born and bred. Like, it's very hard for you to go out and buy a top young right back like they did with Gusto. And, I mean, I want to say fortunately, it's been unfortunate for Reese James. He hasn't been able to stay fit, but it's been a masterstroke in terms of what we've seen from Gusto. I think defensively against Doku, he had his best game of the season. I think we've seen the offensive output from Gusto earlier in the year. It's been defensively, you know, what can he do? And against a really good individual player like Doku, I think he really stood his ground. I think, like you said with Enzo and Caicedo, it's so much of the conversation about those two players begins with their price tag. And they were almost doomed to fail because of that, because especially Caicedo, who is a defensive midfielder. I know Rice has made that price tag look, um, you know, warranted, but it's hard as a defensive midfielder to look like a hundred million pound player more in the case of Caicedo, right? So the more those guys can get, like you said, a rhythm, the, the, the more it will benefit Chelsea. But also to your other point, yeah, Chelsea looked okay against City. They looked, they looked like a team, yeah. but tactically... You're right. You're you're not gonna find games consistency like a city uh, like you're playing city because city are one of a kind and Chelsea will not be afforded space in behind against a, another mid table team like a Wolves when they got turned over at home. So as much as Chelsea fans will take some positives from this performance because I think there are some in terms of the character shown and the the, the unity shown. Because so many times this season we've said they look, they look like a bunch of individuals who are mercenaries and for once maybe you're not seeing that. But tactically, I still think there are major, major worries. And I think even Chelsea fans, you know, even the most reasonable ones will question some of the subs made by Pochettino, which led to them soaking up a bit more pressure, which brought City, um, you know, closer on to them. And that eventually led to that that goal because three points that Eddie had, I mean, that's a result that can swing a season. Um, as for City, I mean, Holland had an off game. I had three or four not some of them were big chances, but most of them were chances you expect Holland to score. Pep came out and said, you know, we're not going to hold it against him because he scored so many goals for us in the past. Things like that. I mean, is this city team, where do they rank compared to previous ones in terms of, you know, this is now a three horse race, I think with Liverpool and Arsenal, whereas in the past, it's kind of just been one or the other. It's been Liverpool as their contender or, or Arsenal. Do you? Th where does this city team rank in teams past? And do you think having a third team in the race will hinder them or benefit them as kind of another team to take points off of their arrival? So where do you sit on City right now? I I think you have to credit the other teams, of course, for for making it a three horse race rather than City 
you know, dropping off on their levels completely and allowing other teams into the race. I, I think you have to credit Liverpool and Arsenal um, first and foremost. That being said, I think you're right. I think, you know, the Holland point is a good one, but you still expect him to hit form mm. and, and score the goals. So, you know, against Chelsea, yeah, I wouldn't rank that team, that performance uh, anywhere near, you know, the, the previous teams we've seen even in the last 12 months. But overall, um, I think there was some trouble hangover, so I can't rank them as highly as last season. But what we've seen from them at their peak this season, the addition of Doku, um, is is still an excellent side, probably very close, if not the same, to the levels they hit last season at their best. It's interesting. Do you, Would it be more impressive for them to go on and win the league this year given that they have to beat out Liverpool and Arsenal. Because I that that's something interesting to me. I do think there was treble hangover, and I do think this team is not maybe as good as last year's. But if they go on to win the league, like this Arsenal team is just as good as I think. They're, they're, Arsenal are really hitting some form in terms of the goals they're scoring. We're starting to see what they were doing last year. Liverpool way ahead of schedule, but super impressive again. They've got some injuries to deal with. Like, it's funny because I agree. I don't think this city team is as good. However, I think the Premier League victory, should they go on to win it, will be more impressive given the two other teams they're having to beat. Because that's really a first for Pep and City. It's kind of just been, you know, a, a two horse race. So beating the two other teams, I think, is impressive. I definitely agree. I think if you can beat, <laughs> they've beaten Liverpool to the title, they've beaten Arsenal to the title, they haven't been beaten both in the same season. So mm -hmm. I think you're right. That's an interesting point. Um, would definitely be a first <laughs> for yeah. Pep, given that he's, you know, still impressive, even that he's achieved just about everything. But yeah, um, I think that I think this season will will really come down to. It. I think it'll probably be as close as. I mean, we've had some some close title races, but in terms of three teams, it's probably it could it could be the best we've seen in, mm. in, in quite a while. All right, moving on to um, just another team we want to touch on. A couple teams you want to touch on before we get into some you know mid season awards and superlatives. Arsenal. Uh, demolished West Ham London Stadium 6-0 um, last weekend and I don't really want to touch on Arsenal in this one as much I do want to just give the quick words them they are starting to hit the form we saw at the beginning of last season in terms of the goals they're scoring they look solid at the back after a bit of a hiccup in December they look like they're hitting their groove um, so they're well and truly in the title race but West Ham I mean I was at this game I mean a lot of people left at halftime when we were 4-0 down. A lot of people want David Moyes out. And it's kind of amazing the turnaround since the last time we played Arsenal um, right after Christmas when we went to the Emirates and beat them. Whereas to now, we just look like a team completely uh, fragmented. It doesn't look like the players really want to play for Moyes. Um, and I think questions are starting to be asked over not necessarily what he has done, David Moyes at West Ham, but how much credit um, is in the bank because he's starting to get defensive in these press conferences saying, you know, they might want a more attacking manager. They might want someone more exciting, but no one will win as much as I have. And he's kind of going on these last few seasons, which have been very successful, um, but he's not really looking at the current issue, which is we're shipping goals. We can't score. Um, and it, it leads into a bigger point, but just briefly, my thoughts um, on David Moyes. I think David Moyes, after the Arsenal away game, was in a really good spot. It was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to sign a new contract at West Ham. What has transpired since then 
has been a combination of an unfortunate injury to Pakita, Kudus being at AFCON, um, and some players being out suspended. But what's really boiled down to our results is that I think David Moyes relies too heavily on individual performances. And, and his style of play is very much soaking up pressure, hitting guys on the counter, with quality in the final third. And for the majority of the season, Bo and Kudus, Pakata, they've, they've, they've supplied that. But when you take one or two of those players out, there's no fundamental philosophy going forward. And that's why you're not seeing uh, a score goals. I think that's actually led to a bit of a loss of belief amongst the team that we can go out and get results because defensively we just look awful as well. So it's a real worry, and I don't think you can extend Moyes at this point, um, given the way things are going. Yeah, here's a stat for you on that. West Ham, in terms of expected goal difference, so if you don't know what that is, folks, expected goals is a metric. Um, it, it's sort of what it sounds like, how much you're expected to score when, when the shot is taken, essentially. They are fourth from bottom when you factor that in. Mm. So <laughs> it's not really clicking at either end of the pitch. That's no. what that tells you. The only three worst teams, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United. Um, so there's a big Pakita-shaped hole. I think that's yeah. obvious. He relies. I, I saw a clip about uh, from a Moyes Masterclass episode where he's talking about false wingers. And at Everton, he used uh, you know, Pinar and Osman. And I look at West Ham, and you need that you need Pakita in there cutting in and providing the creativity and you need kudus giving the speed the energy just bringing the ball up the pitch mm. so so there there's yes there's holes but you know it you can't really give that as the is the only yeah. excuse because you know we'll, we'll talk about style of play you know, it's just you're not really ticking any boxes at the moment when yeah. you play the way Moyes does you know, you need to win. And and he said that, you know, he does win maybe more than other managers historically. Um, but right now he's not. No. <laughs> so so it, it's it's definitely, the jury is out, I think. It'll certainly get to the end of the season because they're not really in any danger. No. Um, so I guess it depends how much, how much you value the European places, yeah. but there's just so much competition with Newcastle, Brighton. So I don't know. Um, but really interesting couple months ahead for West Ham. Yeah, and now that I've kind of said my piece on that, we kind of wanted to talk about, you know, David Moyes, you know, the last couple of years at West Ham has won games, has finished high, has won a trophy, all while playing a pretty boring, not very ple pleasing to watch style of football in that we average less than 30% possession. You know, we are we're, our games are very stressful because we're under the cosh so much of the game. And it leads into this bigger point is... If you are winning, is that all that matters? Like, what is good football? Because Moyes referenced it in his post-game press conference. Like, you know, managers may play better football, more exciting football. But what does that really mean? Because if it's it's a results-based business, we all know that. But where is the line? Because if you had said after Christmas when we beat Arsenal that we were going to play the rest of that way for the season but still getting results, I would have taken it. Now that you're not getting results, though, the conversation changes. So, I mean, let's talk about it. What is more important? Is it getting the three points no matter what or doing it in a way that is positive and easy on the eye and entertaining? Because that's really what the sport is all about. You know, what comes first and when is it acceptable to change your style? Or does it depend how big you are of a club? I mean, what are your thoughts on this, the whole philosophy around it? The crazy thing is... 
I think it depends on the club. And, you know, let's look at Tottenham, I think, is an interesting case study because, you know, they brought in Mourinho and Conte to win. That that was the sole reason. It didn't really work, but let's just say it did. And, you know, if, if Mourinho brings home the Carabao Cup, right, but then I think he, I think he leaves the next season anyway because they were just – it was just up in flames – you know, what's more important to Spurs fans, right? I think the trophy probably is, you know, either way, he kind of leaves you in flames. But there also, on the other hand, is the idea of the Tottenham way, playing good football. I'm not sure what decade that, you know, originated from, but clearly it's important to the fans. Ange comes in and and they're loving life and, and they're in fifth. It's not, you know, I, I, I think we all think Tottenham are having a good season, Um but, you know, it's not their best season of all time, but they're they're happy as can be. So the strange thing is, you know, West Ham might be similar because I think there is this idea of kind of the West Ham way from mm. back in the day. I don't think the whole fan base necessarily buys in mm. to, you know, Moyes out. We got to play progressively. But but a club like Spurs kind of does. Um, a club like Chelsea doesn't. I think all they care about is winning. Mm. Um, I don't. That's why I think Graham Potter was a was a weird one, because he just got swallowed up and you need it. You need a level of. I think you have to be a strong character to manage Chelsea. Um, I think United is one that I'm confused about because winning is so important to their DNA. Uh, they weren't necessarily a pioneer. Well, I guess Sir Matt Busby in a way, but under Ferguson, I don't think they were necessarily a pioneer of like beautiful football. I think they played attacking football, no doubt about that. But when I think of that era and bringing a new flavor of progressive football to the English game. It's Arsene Wenger mm. who did that, really. Um, and I think Ferguson learned from Wenger. So, and now they're having sort of this internal debate about, well, is Ten Hag, the way he's playing, do we really want this? Well, if it gets us a Carabao Cup and, and hopefully more, and we're going to finish in the Champions League, maybe. I mean, they might not. I don't think they will. Um, is, is that good enough, you know, for, for now? So I don't I don't really know the answer. I think I think the each fan base kind of wants different things. I think Everton fans right now from my club are you know just want to see the team work hard, um, see the team create chances, not necessarily score a bundle of the goals, but defend well. Um, of course, get results, but but first and foremost, it, it's it's effort. It's about effort. It's not we don't really care about uh, ticky tack. I think Everton DNA more lies with the dogs of war and Duncan Ferguson and that sort of era. Um, But like I said, Spurs, maybe West Ham, other clubs are are the opposite. They need to see good football first and foremost. So, and then that's the other thing, right? Like what is good football? Do you have to have more possession? Is counterattacking football good football? Like let's say Pochettino at Spurs didn't necessarily dominate the ball every game, but played exciting football to them. So it's, it's a strange one. And I do think it varies club to club. Yeah. I mean, look at city. City are the most dominant team in the world by some stretch, and yet I'm not excited by watching Man City. Like, I'm kind of bored watching Man City. Like, if I was to make a boxing comparison, they're kind of like Floyd Mayweather. Like, Floyd Mayweather's fights were boring because he'll just, like, jab, 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 and touch you around, but he won't knock you out. City will just strangle you and dominate you so much that team's strategy is to sit back so there isn't space in behind, so you're not seeing exciting runs or passages of play it's kind of just slowly but surely breaking you down and that's not fun to watch but 
You ask any Man City fan whether they enjoy winning the treble, obviously they will say yes. And obviously Pep's style of play, it's, I think it's, it's changed a little bit since he first got here. It was more tiki-taka when he first got here. And now it's a bit more emphasis on pressing, I think, and uh, direct chance creation as opposed to you know playing out with the wings when he first got here with the likes of Mares. Um, and what have you, and Sterling and Sané, whereas now it's kind of like, we'll get the ball to Alvarez and Holland, and then they'll score, right? So it's a little bit different. But he always wins. That's that's the thing. Um, and then back to a smaller team like West Ham, it's, it's interesting because as a West Ham fan, you can either resign yourself to the fact that, hey, you know, we're probably not going to win trophies, so we might as well try to play some fun stuff while we're doing it, right? Or... You can go full in on, no, we're going to play counterattack and tough to beat and see where it leads us. And it led us to a trophy finishing sixth and seventh. And, you know, we're in the Europa League now. So it, it's up to the, the board to, to, to pick which philosophy you go down. But like as, as another case study, West Ham right now. So West Ham were in this position in 2018 when David Moyes first came in in 2017, kept us up. He was signed on a six month deal. He kept us up. We didn't play exciting stuff. We finished 13th, and they said, thanks, but see ya. We want to go get Pellegrini. We bring Pellegrini in, who plays a bit more of an open, positive brand of football. We finished 10th the first season, but then it all goes to shit in the second season, and we're forced to bring Moyes back in. He keeps us up, and we finish 6th. We finish 7th. We win a trophy, and we're back to where we are now. So it's almost like deja vu, and David Moyes must be telling himself, well, how can there even be a discussion about whether I should stay or not? Look what happened last time. But if you're living in the past like that, like should West Ham be held to their previous mistakes of bringing in Pellegrini and therefore never try to bring in another progressive manager for as long as they go because it didn't work out with him? Like, like what? That that's the question that the board has to answer. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fascinating conversation about the direction. Uh, philosophically of each team and i think you're right it does depend on each team and each team will say you know we want to play this way or that way some teams will just say we want to win and it's kind of a prerogative of the fans the culture and and each board it's that specific yeah the, the strange thing is is that every club's different but i think i think united is an interesting one here because the fan base is clearly conflicted so if you're jim ratcliffe you know, what do you do? Do you say to ten, you either do one of two things, right? You fire him or you keep him. If you keep him, do you say, keep doing what you're doing? We'll give you the guys you need. Or do you say, listen, man, we need to see what you originally intended, uh, the style you originally right. intended to play, supposedly, which is that Ajax football. This is Man United. We have to be dominating the ball against Luton for 90 minutes. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's a really interesting thing we're going to see with them in the summer. Um, but I think... <laughs> For a team like that, I do think results are important. You know, I think either way, fans are going to get frustrated, right? And and not maybe not even fans, but I think the media is going to be on you. And they were last season when they lost to Brentford and Brighton trying to play out from the back, mm. right? Because nobody was cutting them any slack because it is Man United. And you do have good players. And maybe they don't fit playing out of the back, but they're good players. So I think people are always going to um, criticize you for that. Whereas if you're a palace maybe you're not under the spotlight as much may you have enough to stay in mid table you bring in oliver glasner and he can get you playing and slowly build mm -hmm. but that might not work if you're burnley who have just come up are trying to stick with it 
it's not gonna it's just not gonna keep him in the league long term it might work but you know for this season uh and 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 next season they'll be they'll be in the championship so i i think i think you have to be really careful um and i think this is sort of the dilemma that a lot of premier league boardrooms um from you know beyond the top three down are sort of facing and i think the answer a lot of the time lies in the middle with like you know you look at like an aston villa they don't necessarily play tiki taka uh, they dominate the ball when they need to but they also play vertically and direct when they need to mm. and i think that's what I, you want to see if you're a chelsea fan and if you're a united united fan you know we need to be able to keep the ball against Copenhagen in the Champions League and Luton away and, you know, whatever. Um, but away from home against Arsenal, Liverpool, City, Spurs, let's you play to our strengths and let them come at us and we'll counterattack them. So I think there can be adaptability with, with these systems and style of play. I don't think it has to be as rigid as we're going to keep the ball against every team in the league. I think when since Pep has come in, that's the way things have shifted, mm. right? It's very possession-based. But I think it's okay to go back to, you know, some more traditional principles of this is a home performance. Right. This is an away-from-home performance. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's a line. But my opinion just is I don't think possession-based football is always good football. I think direct football can be exciting to watch it can also be dreadful <laughs> as i've we've both seen from from allardyce at both of our yeah. clubs pumping it long um but man re results are important i think especially if you are a united or a chelsea so there's a fine line it, it, it is an interesting conversation um and, and it's it's clearly a dilemma that that a lot of teams face yeah and moving on we touched on it briefly but someone like glasner oliver glasner has been appointed um, Crystal Palace manager. This is a guy who's got a decent bit of pedigree, won the Europa League with Frankfurt, beat my boys on his way to doing that. Um, I mean, does a Europa League winning manager ending up at Palace surprise you? I mean, what does this say about everyone likes to say, oh, well, the Premier League is already the Super League because look at, you know, the teams like Villa and Newcastle with these huge managers and teams. Um, I mean, Glasner to Palace, just what's your reaction to that? You know, I, I, I can't say I know boatloads about the guy. Um, I, I have to say, though, last night when they when they played Everton, I, you, you felt there was a different vibe about the players, and they were, you know, definitely up for it. And the, he, he implemented a back three already. But, you know, I, I'm not surprised, but I think we... I think it, it opens up an interesting conversation that you alluded to there with the Premier League can and most teams in the Premier League can bring in a lot of managers that you know if you put the money to one side should be overqualified. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, not to say that you know Glasner can't do the same thing with Frankfurt that he did with Palace. I don't think he can, but and I don't think he necessarily expects to take him to Europa League glory. Um, but there, there's obviously still exciting players there and, and a project and a fan base, and I get all that. But I think this is interesting. You have to look at the Premier League as a whole, the money that's there. Um, and, and Palace are no, you know, big spending club by any means. I think this is about Premier League than anything. Um, because he could have had, I'm sure he could have had jobs in Germany that 
uh, teams that that finish higher up the table than Palace traditionally do, mm. right? Um, teams in, in in France and Spain that that are big clubs traditionally. Um, I, I'm sure he he, he could have gotten a job there. Cho- chooses, you know, waits his turn, chooses to come to Crystal Palace, who are not having a good season, who have been a mid-table club since they've been in the league. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's just a paycheck, uh, but I think it's a factor. And I think there is a pulling power with the Premier League that, you know, English fans are all proud of, yes. But I I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the money that the league generates, frankly. Yeah, and I I think Glasner, it's exciting for Palace fans. Um, The style of play that he has is unique. I think it can work in a team that is kind of mid-table because he does play the three, five at the back kind of hybrid system. And I think in the right with the right players, it can work. Um, back to the idea that the Premier League can you know lure in higher profile managers, I do think this is an example of that. I think Glasner, while he's not a household name, is, like you said, overqualified for this job. Um, and when I look at this season, I think it's bold from Palace to do this midseason because we saw this kind of move when they brought in Vieira, but that was after Hodgson had, or it was Puel, whoever was there, um, finished the season. They brought someone in, so they had a full preseason where it's going to be Glasser's going to be thrown into the deep end middle of the year, which is a a bold move. But I I think it's something that Palace fans kind of welcome just because of how stale it's been under Hodgson. And like you said, even last night, like, even though he wasn't even on the touchline, but just the players had a you know a rejuvenation about them. So I think it's exciting for Palace. I think when fully fit, they've got some really talented players. And I think this is a different profile, a bit younger, a bit more experienced than Vieira. Everyone likes to say, oh, look, they tried it with Vieira and it didn't go. Vieira barely had much experience. Like he was at Nice and did okay, but it was NYCFC. Like he wasn't, he wasn't that proven. Glasner has been around the block. I think he was at RB Salzburg too. Uh, where he had a, a good little stint. And Frankfurt, they played excellent football. They were an excellent team, and they didn't have huge names either. Like, they were a well-drilled, well-organized team playing in a tough league with a great crowd, great atmosphere. You're going to get that at Selhurst. So I like the Glasner appointment, um, and I think for Palace fans, it's something you can kind of just sink your teeth into and get behind because it's hard to get behind Roy Hodgson long-term. I agree, and I think it's he's a nice... Again, I don't know tons about him, but he seems like a nice middle ground between, you know, we're going to play some exciting football, but we're playing five at the back. You know, we're not going to be wide open and teams aren't going to carve us open either. So I, I think that's a nice a nice middle ground for Crystal Palace. Um, and you know what? Good for them. Hodgson, he, he didn't go out on a high like he probably deserved to because he is a legend of the, of the English game and, and, he, and he's achieved a lot and just been, I mean, the the length of his career is quite astonishing. So I think he deserves a pat on the back for the for the jobs he's done at Crystal Palace, but it was it was certainly time for them to move on. All right, and then last um, talking point I want to touch on this week is manager of the season so far in the Premier League. A couple of candidates. Um, I want to get your thoughts first before I give mine, but do you have a couple of names you want, you want to talk about? Who is the one you say probably deserves it the most? Who's punching above their weight? Um, what's your take on it? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, I think it's sort of fun to, to give this award now because really whoever wins the league will probably get it. <laughs> um, but I think Gary O'Neill deserves a huge mention here. Sacked from Bournemouth, he came into Wolves when so many, including myself, fancied them for the drop this season. 
Lobategi in the summer wasn't having it. Lack of funds, no transfers. Uh, he leaves. O'Neal comes in. And the expectations are not very high at all, I don't think, from, from neutrals, from Wolves fans. And right now, they're 11th in the table. Uh, level on points with Chelsea. We know what they've spent. And they're playing some good football. And I just, you know what? I think he's one of those where, where it was more than meets the eye, you know, at Bournemouth. I think the job he did there was really good. And you know what? I think Ariola is doing a good job right now as well. So if that's the style, the direction Bournemouth want to go in, then fine. But I, I think the, the, the credit goes to, to Wolves and O'Neill rather than let's all slander Bournemouth for sacking him. Um, because it, w it, was a, it was a savvy appointment and he just seems to fit the vibe and everything about them. Um, he's a young, exciting manager. You know, they don't dominate the ball every game. But again, I think as we've just defined, that doesn't necessarily translate to playing bad football. Mm. I think Wolves fans are excited. Uh, he's gotten the front three looking really strong. Huang obviously started the season on fire. Cunha, um, you know, so th there's some, Pedro there's Neto. some, yeah, Pedro Neto. There's some good players there. Um, but even on paper at the start of the season, we were looking at Wolves saying, oof, I'm just not sure. O'Neal, you know, did fine with Bournemouth to keep him up, but is he really the guy uh, for Wolverhampton Wanderers? And the answer has been a resounding yes. So credit to him. I think, yes, he's only mid-table, but... Given the expectation, I think he's. I think he has to be a candidate for manager of the season. Yeah, I saw Wolves up close and personal when they beat Spurs at the weekend, and I was really impressed just with the physicality that Wolves. I mean, they bullied Spurs. They were extremely organized. Their low block was executed to perfection. They were so um, well structured defensively. I would only give it to Emery instead of O'Neill, only because I think with Wolves. I think a lot of people were kind of doomsday to talk um, a bit prematurely, not totally wrongly because I'm not overly thrilled with their squad, but I do think they had some players that when fit, it was like, yeah, they can be comfortably clear of the drop. Um, and so because of that, expectations were really low and he has exceeded them. And I do think he deserves heaps of credit for that. But I want, I want to give it to Emery only because breaking into that top four or five is so difficult in the Premier League. And I know they've spent money, but they've spent it really well. And he has improved players, I think, to a degree where I give him a lot of credit for that, but to a degree where he's able to supplement pre-existing players with the Pau Torreses and the Diabis, but it's the likes of McGinn and Douglas Louise and Matty Cash and Kamara who have really taken steps forward to propel them where, you know, you look at a team like Villa, they are the ultimate case study as, you know, well, you've got money to spend. Do you go out and play this expressive style of football or do you try to play a bit more reserved? And they went for Emery, who granted is a bit of a hybrid in between, but at times they will blow you away with their football. And I think that's really hard to do consistently, but they've done it consistently. They went on; they were on a, a complete tear at home. Their home form is unbelievable. So I think just the fact that Villa are in the conversation that they are in deserves so much credit because I think you could easily said Emery and Villa finishing sixth or seventh would have been very impressive given the spending of the likes of Chelsea and United and Newcastle, especially where Newcastle were last season. But for them to take, in, to take the steps that they have this year, I think – I would give it to Emery, but I really don't hate the O'Neill shout. And I have to give another mention to another manager. I know they're in the relegation zone right now, and long may it continue as long as Everton are in the race. But Rob Edwards at, at Luton Town has done an extraordinary job. I mean, talk about 
overachieving. I think everybody had Luton rock bottom, not even the relegation zone. I think rock bottom mm. at the start of the season. The squad uh, isn't good <laughs> on paper, right? Nobody really rated uh, a lot of their players. Ross Barkley, he's washed up. Lakanga, just a loney, right? You know, who, Carlton Morris and, and um, up front, is he, is he a Premier League striker? I think he has... Just, I mean, talk about expectations and, and reality. Again, I know they're in the relegation zone, but he's overachieving with, with that squad. Um, Adebayo up front has been sensational. Um, playing to your strengths. You know, I know it sounds simple, but that's what Luton do. It ex- it excites the fan base. Uh, they're well, they have a great chance of staying up. Um, and you know what? They play a simple brand of football, but it's effective uh, it gets results against a lot of teams, and when it doesn't get results, it causes teams problems. Mm-hmm. They have caused Arsenal problems, United, uh, plenty of others. So you have to give Rob Edwards a, a huge amount of credit for the way Luton play um, with that team who hasn't undergone a, a ton of investment, doesn't have a lot of money. It's a tiny old ground, but it's a proper old ground, and, and it's nice to see that sort of club in the Premier League as sort of a Cinderella story. Um and I think I still think it's going to be difficult for them to stay up, um, and I hope they don't. <laughs> as, as long as it's you know it's not Everton's expense. Um, but but what a story it's been so far for them. And, and Rob Edwards, a young English manager who's just doing an extraordinary job. So I think he deserves a shout. Yeah, and I think with Rob Edwards and Luton, it was kind of like this is best case scenario for them because there is a blueprint there for these teams that come up from the Championship with a small packed stadium who will play a physical brand of football that these you know bigger, lavish-spending, fancier teams maybe aren't used to. But it sounds nice in theory, but then to do it in practice is a whole other um, story. And the, yeah, the performances from some of these guys like Townsend and Barkley, who's just been complete renaissance to his career, is so impressive, and you have to give Edwards a ton of credit for that. Um, so I, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap things up for this week. Uh, until next time, thank you for listening.